Welcome back to the Get Unstuck and On Target podcast. I'm Mike O'Neill with Bench Builders, and we help growing companies, especially manufacturers, improve their people, process, and planning systems so they can scale smarter and faster. Joining me today is Tanya Osinski. Tanya is a corporate attorney and a fractional general counsel. After over 20 years working inside the business as an in-house attorney for large companies and institutions, such as Georgia Pacific and Georgia Tech, Tanya formed her own law firm in 2017 to bring her unique in-house counsel insights to smaller companies and entrepreneurs. Now, she's a business owner herself, so she can much better relate to her clients and understand the challenges that they face. And it's my pleasure to welcome you. Good to have you on this podcast. Thank you so much. And I appreciate your having me. Thank you, Mike. What I know about your background that kind of mirrors mine is you came out of a corporate uh, in-house general counsel, whereas I came out of corporate HR. Mm -hmm. You work for some very impressive companies, but you have decided that you wanted to open your own firm and particularly bring your legal expertise to smaller companies and work with entrepreneurs. What was the lure to begin working with small growing businesses? I've always had an entrepreneurial spirit myself. Um, as a first generation immigrant, it's sort of like the expectation of, of that kind of a, a population to be entrepreneurial and I was no exception. Uh, but I spent a lot of time in the corporate world and kind of seeing how business was managed from the inside. A lot of lawyers who have only ever worked in law firms don't get that kind of perspective. They are just legal counsel. They only provide legal advice. They don't see how the business operates from the inside as well as in-house lawyers do because they represent the company. They have to understand all the functions of the company and how the business works, as well as the whole industry that the business is in. So it's a completely different perspective uh, for the lawyer. And, and it inspired me to also want to be a business owner because I really enjoyed seeing the business side of my of my corporate client. Um, and I wanted to to have more of a hand in that myself. In my intro, I mentioned that you work with um small to mid-sized companies and in particular i want <clears throat> excuse apologize i wanted to spend a little bit of time about startups mm -hmm. and i know that that's one of the areas that uh, that you have some developed some expertise in and particularly what we want to do is talk about what are those type of mistakes that you see time and time again that those folks who are starting companies tend to make and I asked that question in large part because we've got a lot of entrepreneurs who are listening to this podcast. Yes. That's one I, of I know it's a very common thing that people talk about. And um, what I see the most, most often are entrepreneurs who don't budget for legal expenses, right? They come up with a great business idea and a business plan. They work super hard on it. They make a budget for marketing. They make a budget uh, for uh, for you know online presence and brand and marketing and stuff, 
Uh, but very rarely do they budget for the boring stuff, the accountants, the lawyers, the things that build the foundation for a healthy business. And, and it's especially important when they are trying to found a company with someone else. So when a, when a person is alone finding, you know, starting a company, it is, there are certain things that need to be done, but it's, it's fine. I guess it's, it's okay to do it yourself or a lot of it yourself. But when you are going into business with another person, it becomes really critical to budget that time for really good advisory services with a financial person and a legal person. Because there are so many um, problems that arise. And I see, unfortunately, every single day, problems among founders that because they did not consider things up front and put the right uh, structure for the company in place, have the right agreement between the founders um, that that help them, you know, get through problems in the future. So then they end up spending a lot more money down the road because they don't have a framework for dealing with these things that they came up with in advance. And it is an investment, but it's definitely a lot cheaper than litigation. So I, it's a it's a no brainer from risk perspective that it's important to budget a few thousand dollars at the startup stage, get it all correctly put in place, and then you won't have the um, the terrible problems that many people get when they don't do that. So can you help me understand to establish good legal foundation? What are the kinds of things that a person who is considering starting a business, perhaps with a business partner, what are the absolutes that you advise your clients must be in place up front? So the very, the most important thing they must have in place is an agreement between them. Mm. It's even more important than creating a, a legal entity like an LLC, which also is important. But having the agreement between them about how they want to work together, what's gonna happen, um, if one of them wants to leave or one of them dies, can one of them sell their interest in the company or do they have to have, you know, certain restrictions on sale? What, you know, all of these scenarios that people um, don't think about beyond, okay, we want to go into business together and we're going to divide everything up 50-50 or 60-40 or whatever it is. Uh, but there's a lot more um, that needs to be decided upon than just how you're going to divide up the profits um, a lot more. So those are that's the most important thing. And then I see uh, after all of those things have been established and everybody is going forward, they start hiring people or workers to to help them out in the business because, you know, you're beyond the point where you can do everything by yourself. The next mistake I see a lot of businesses make is um, hiring workers without thinking through proper classification of workers, whether they are employees or independent contractors. And it's very attractive to just say, oh, so-and-so is an independent contractor, so I can save on those payroll taxes and all of this stuff. But that's just not how the law works in this area. It's not what you say that the relationship is. It's actually, they actually look at the relationship itself and decide whether it should be an employee. And if you don't 
do that correctly from the beginning, you're exposing your company to a huge amount of fines and penalties uh, when, you know, just do it right from the first place would have avoided a whole host of problems later on. So that's another huge mistake I see companies make early on in their, in their existence. You know, you point out it's a good problem when the business is growing and you have to bring others to help with that. But if you just assume that these folks are independent contractors, you could perhaps get by with that. But in the event that that is challenged, I think what you were saying is that you're subject to a number of things, yeah. uh, penalties, uh, fines, um, right. and they can go back on, on, on and, and recover, can they not? They can. They can go back and recover from the very beginning. And one of the worst things about using employees and contractors in a lackadaisical manner that even goes beyond these kinds of scary things like fines is the intellectual property that let's say you um, hire a marketing person or, you know, any other kind of worker that creates things for the company. Um, the law is that unless you have a contract that says otherwise, that person is going to own their creation. So you have to have the right agreement with them if you want to be, uh, if you want to own what they've created for you that you've paid for and you should own. But that's not how the law is set up. So it's very important to think carefully through those kinds of things. And once you've created those basic templates that you can use for your contractors or employees, you've got... Uh, your customer agreements, you've got your website terms and conditions and all of those things, then you probably won't need an attorney like me for a very long time until some new stage of development happens for the company. But the, but the, it, I guess my point is that entrepreneurs should plan for these basic few things from the beginning and budget for that from the beginning because it's an, it's an important area to invest in. You know, we started this conversation talking about mistakes that startups oftentimes make. And you've given two examples of things that by investing up front, have the conversation, put what's agreed to in writing, it can avoid a lot of potential heartache in the future. Yes. And then you've also kind of pointed out that with success becomes new sets of questions. But yes. one thing I like about you is that you are you're relatively transparent. What you're saying is if you're willing to do these things up front, they might not need you for a while. Right. And what I love about your transparency, too, is that when you go to your website, something I don't know if I've ever seen before, there's a tab that kind of lists fee structure. Yep. That's very, at least for me, that strikes me as being very unusual. What prompted you to go ahead and just be that forthright with people who even don't even talk to you? They go to your website first. Well, yeah, and I think that that would be great. If somebody goes to my website and sees that my fee structure is not a good fit for their business, that's perfectly fine. Then they can make that decision. I believe that the client or potential client is the one who makes the decision whether or not and who to hire as their advisor, including myself. You know, I believe in transparency. I also hate it when 
service providers are not transparent about their pricing because it's more work on me. You know, I have to call, I have to go through the whole spiel and explain what I need. And then they like come up with some number off maybe the top of their head. And who knows if that is how they feel today or if that's really their normal number. Um, and so it it's just it just feels a little kaluji, you know. I don't know if that's a real word or not. Uh, but I I want to avoid all of that. I want to work with clients that I feel are a good fit for me, and I also want them to feel that I'm a good fit for them. And if that means some people will automatically, you know, uh, cross me off their list based on my prices, that's okay. That's their decision. They get to decide who they work with, not me. You know, we're talking about fit, and one of the things we discuss is are the prices you charge in keeping with what they're kind of expecting. What else goes into deciding a good fit with an attorney? What else should people listening be mindful of? I think that um, uh, there are some people who hire an attorney to just basically be like a secretary. Like, I'm going to tell you what I want you to put in here. And you just do what I say. I don't really want to hear your opinion about what I'm doing. That is not where I add the most value, right? The value that I bring to a client is not the piece of paper that I produce. It's my advice. The, the fees I charge are for the advice. The piece of paper that comes out of it is like, you know, the ultimate cherry, but that's not the main um thing that I charge for. I charge for the value of my experience, advice. I've been an attorney for almost 30 years. I've been doing this a long time and and it's and it's worth something. And I think that if a client does not respect or appreciate that, if they just want me to be a scribe, that's not going to be a good relationship. And um, that's not what I'm here to do. That, that would not fulfill my purpose or it wouldn't and it would not serve them because as an attorney, you have certain ethical obligations. Uh, you have, uh, you could potentially have malpractice issues if something happens that goes off the wrong way. Um, and and the, an attorney's role is not to just do whatever the client says. You know, we've started this conversation around the notion of starting a business and how important it is to get those foundational pieces in place. As a company, continues to operate, where do you find entrepreneurs next go awry from a legal standpoint? And as the company keeps growing, um, the next issues that I see more often are employment related issues. And I'm not an employment lawyer, but I have, um, I can help manage other employment lawyers for clients uh, because I know how outside lawyers should be managed. And um, other issues that come around a lot are, are just general contracts, not documenting regular contracts and relationships correctly. I see a lot of people just kind of work on a on a verbal arrangement kind of basis. It's a recipe for problems. Um, and then I don't I see people not thinking about their exit strategy. So if you're going to start a company right from the beginning, you should be thinking about how are you going to exit the company? And that really colors how you set things up from the beginning. A company is worth a lot more money 
and is valued higher if you do certain things all along the way. So, so that's like an ongoing responsibility that the company has. It needs to document its contracts. It needs to have corporate governance in, you know, cleaned up. It needs to have its financial records cleaned up. And then it'll be worth a higher purchase price, which is really the goal for most people when they sell their company, get the yeah. maximum value. I'm so glad you brought that up. And that is in starting a business, the focus is getting it going. And I would think that they will say, oh, that's in the distant future. And you're encouraging us, don't put that off. Be thinking now what that extra strategy might would be. Um, I get into extra strategies uh, from the people side. How are you preparing the team to assume what you're doing when you decide to move on to something else? You're describing preparing them legally and operationally for the same thing. Exactly. You therefore are getting calls from from clients um, from you said you're not an employment lawyer, but you've worked with lots of employment lawyers. Do you find that when issues arise, it automatically requires an employment lawyer? And sadly, um, these days, the way our country is and how litigious everything is and, and how much emotion is wrapped up in employment, hmm. um, I would say most of the time, yes, because um, it's just an area that is so ripe for legal problems. And unfortunately, employees feel emotional about their situation and the employer and managers also feel emotional about their role. So it's a very highly charged issue and every state's laws are so different that you really need someone who, who, who is experienced um, in that one area. Like, I would not trust a lawyer who does real estate and employment law and wills and personal injury. And by the way, um, you know, also contracts, okay? Legal is extremely hyper concentrated and, ex you know, in expertise in especially an area like employment law, someone who does not practice in that area all the time is not going to have the knowledge that you would need to support your business um, the right way. It's not a you know ad hoc kind of law practice. Yes, you know one thing we did not talk about, but um, it goes back to when you're starting your business, and and that is where should you register your business? I, I get the sense that there's oftentimes a lot of confusion on that one topic. Can you kind of elaborate on that? Yeah, all the time. You, you know, people Google and get their legal advice from Google way too many times. And then they read up and say, oh, Delaware or, you know, Nevada or whatever state is the latest cool place to register your company. And unfortunately, um, it's it's kind of a BS kind of advice, right? Mm -hmm. The place to register your company is where it's going to make its money. Because if, if I'm doing business in Georgia, for example, and I register my company in Delaware, I'm creating a new legal person in Delaware. A legal entity is considered a person under the law. Hmm. So that person, before they can conduct business in, in Georgia, must register in Georgia as a foreign 
LLC or a foreign corporation. So now you have to maintain two different registrations and pay two different, you know, registration fees, taxes, and be uh, be aware of the laws of two different states for absolutely no reason, right? Um, I, I get this question all the time because I, especially when somebody is thinking I am going to sell to VC and I'm going to become public and all of those things are great. And maybe it's true that for certain kind of plans, it is good to have a corporation and it may be required by investors, certain investors that it be registered in Delaware. But um you need to talk about it with your with a CPA because at the startup stage there may be more tax advantages to forming in your local jurisdiction, and then when that incredible investor comes along and demands that you be in Delaware, you can transfer your entity to Delaware. You can convert your entity to whatever is you know important at the time so i wouldn't do something for some future potential event um, that may or may never happen because you can always make changes it's not set in stone what you do today you can convert your legal entity to another state you can convert it from a corporation to an llc and vice versa you can change the name of it. You can just do a lot. There's a lot more flexibility. So I always advise to start with close to home, make it um, an L usually LLCs are because they are the most flexible entity and you can elect to be taxed as a corporation or taxed as a partnership or taxed as whatever. People don't always understand that S Corp and C Corp and LLC are are not related to the same thing. Tax status and legal entity are not the same thing. So it's confusing and even accountants don't talk about it the right way a lot of times, uh, but an LLC is very flexible. You should form your LLC to start with in the state where you live and where you're gonna make money. And, and then you can change your tax status. You can have your LLC taxed in a different way if that's appropriate and when that becomes appropriate. And then you can convert it to Delaware if, if some multi-million dollar investment opportunity comes along your way and you're like, you have to have a Delaware. <laughs> For folks who listen to this podcast, they probably recognize none of the questions that I'm asking you are given to you in advance. Quite frankly, I don't know many of the questions because they're based on the kinds of things that you're sharing with us. Boy, this has been very informative thus far. You've had an opportunity to work in a corporate setting. You now work with your own law firm, working with businesses and helping them start, helping them grow, help them deal with the issues that kind of come along um, with that. Can you share example where perhaps either you or a client got stuck and when that happened, what did it take to get unstuck? Mm, that's a tough one. Um, uh, I'm dealing with a matter now, or I just finished dealing with a matter now, where um, I had a client who started a business right before COVID, and it was very successful. And then COVID hit, and it almost tanked his business. He was on the verge of filing bankruptcy. He was this close to walking away with nothing. And then as we started recovering from COVID, he got a great offer. Somebody came and offered him 
few million dollars to buy him out. So he was super excited. And um, and as we started, um, I started working with him on that transaction, he became very attached. He became stuck to this deal. Hmm. And he, um, unfortunately, the other party was kind of a bully, you know, in a lot of ways, um, very inflexible, very like trying to force their terms. And he was so attached to the deal. He was so stuck on this mental idea that I came and and this COVID thing could hit me again. I could be faced with the idea of walking away with nothing, or I can take this deal. And he was so pressured and he just started conceding to everything they wanted, even though he didn't need to. His company was already doing well again and and he could have also marketed the company to other potential buyers and gotten other offers but he didn't he was so attached to this one offer and just stuck with it and they pretty much abused him during the process um and it was so bad um because he was also supposed to stay on for a few years in in, a, in, a, in an employment capacity after the sale. And at the end of the deal, when he was signing it and he was like, the way they treated me, I cannot wait to quit <laughs> because, but he was obligated to, to continue. And so it was very, very poor decision-making along the way that led him to this position of being stuck and um not knowing how to get out of it so that was my hopefully not a very good example but you know i beg to differ i think it's an excellent example whereas your client kind of got stuck to an idea yeah and in latching on to that idea it really compromised him and his position and it yeah. kind of tainted the whole process it really did and he um he had me as an advisor and I tried to do my best, but he really should have also had other advisors besides myself, right? I'm just a lawyer. I do words. He needed advice from a financial standpoint. He needed advice from like an operational standpoint or like some really more like industry kind of um, advice where because he was mentally stuck to the idea that he wouldn't be able to find another buyer. And I don't think that that's true, but I don't have the expertise to convince him of that. Um, so yeah, he should have invested in other advisors. He could have come up with a much better potentially deal than he did. Tanya, you would be known as a trusted advisor. You've already mentioned the importance of having someone advise from an accounting perspective. When you're working with entrepreneurs and they ask, who should I surround myself with? Who should my advisors be? How do you respond to that question? Very good question, because I just had this conversation yesterday. <laughs> so I always advise my clients to have a business attorney like myself who is experienced with small business um, and transactional issues, but from a practical perspective. And um, a CPA who is not just someone who fills out tax forms, but is but does planning that works with small businesses 
and advise them on how to plan and save money. And, and like a financial person, whether from their personal life, like a financial advisor from for their personal life and, and maybe like a CFO type person who can help manage all the financial stuff, those are the minimum, right? Um, and of course, there's all kinds of different advisors and consultants and coaches on the operational side and the sales side and the HR side and everything else. But I think the minimum are these financial and legal advisors who who have a big picture and who are neutral, right? We don't, we are not um, gonna be affected if your business succeeds or fails, right? We're giving you our best advice based on our own knowledge. And it's, it's like a neutral point of view that is not invested in the business itself. You came out of working in very large organizations. Uh, I too came out of working for very large organizations. You've chosen and I have chosen to work with quote small to medium sized businesses. When I tell friends that that's who I prefer to work with, I find that they sometimes scratch their head. Well, why would you choose a smaller business? For me, my response is because I get to work with this, the decision maker most typically. Mm -hmm and therefore decisions are made quicker and oftentimes are better because of that. But when people say, well, why did you choose to begin working with and continue working small to mid-sized businesses? What's the appeal to you as a, a lawyer with your own law firm? Uh, in a lot of ways, the big humongous companies are very set in their ways mm -hmm. and um, they have already huge law departments full of lawyers who do the day-to-day -day legal stuff, so they don't need me. Um, I like helping people because I can see the results of my help in real life, and it makes me feel good uh, to have helped someone that otherwise wouldn't have it. That's pretty much it. A lawyer saying it makes me feel good. Um, you're tapping into something that I know lawyers get a bad rap left and right mm -hmm. until they meet you. Uh, they can see aspects of what you bring to a relationship. As you kind of reflect on this conversation, what do you hope our viewers and listeners have as takeaways? I know that lawyers, um, everybody hates, says they hate lawyers, but they love their lawyer, right? <laughs> so, um, they, we have a bad rep generally, but not individually, I guess, is the, is the way. Um, the takeaway, I think, is to pay attention to the boring stuff. You know, the marketing and the branding are all exciting and fun and sales are exciting and fun. But without the solid foundation and the structure and the neutrality brought by the financial and the legal side, you only have a very... Uh, biased view of the company, right? It's it's having the, the good foundations, the solid advice, not advice you necessarily want to hear is probably the most valuable advice sometimes, right? You have to be surrounded by people who are not afraid to say the truth that you may not wanna hear. And, and that's a mark of good leadership and um, it, and that's what would help success. Mm, that's beautifully said. 
as folks have been listening, they may be saying, gosh, I'd like to learn a little more. How do I contact Tanya? Mm -hmm. What's the best way for folks to reach out to you? Thank you. I'm, I'm available. I'm very active on LinkedIn. I enjoy sharing my content on LinkedIn, so look me up on there. I have a website, osenskylaw.com. You can email me, tanya at osenskylaw.com, or call me, 404-369-5126. We even put the phone number in there. Now, by the way, spell Osinski, please. O-S-E-N-S-K-Y. Okay. We will obviously include in the show notes your LinkedIn profile, your website, and other contact information. Matter of fact, that's how you and I first uh, came across each other was via LinkedIn. And yes. I love your post. Thank I, you. I, I just find them so refreshing. Uh, as a business owner, I, I glean from your posts. So for those who reach out and connect, you have an opportunity to to, to see Tanya's posts on a more regular basis. Thanks, Mike. Thanks so much. That warms my heart. Thank you for being a guest. Thank you so much for having me. I've really enjoyed our discussion. Well, I've enjoyed it as well. I also want to thank our listeners for joining us today. Yes. We upload the latest episode every Thursday to all the major platforms, including Apple and Spotify. So if you've enjoyed this episode with Tanya, please subscribe. Now, I have a question for our listeners. Are you trying to grow your business and you want to make sure you've got the right people, process, and planning systems in place so that you can grow smoothly? If yes, let's talk. Head over to unstuck.show and schedule a quick non-sales call. We'll talk about your growth goals and explore practical steps that you can take immediately to grow your business. So I want to thank you for joining us and I hope you have picked up on some tips from Tanya. They'll help you get unstuck and on target. Until next time. <music>